our generation is now in the place of healing to start so that our little ones have the freedom to just be. The calls for a national day of mourning and accountability over the Kamloops residential school discovery. Plus, it's still brought up the visions of Willie Picton was doing on the downtown east side. A commercial truck driver speaks out after another suspicious death along the same route he discovered another woman's body. And... Oh, it's very good to be community again. Like, this is our family. Reaction as churches, mosques, temples and synagogues resume in-person services. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Neetu Garcha. A groundswell of support today for the hundreds of children reportedly found buried near a former Kamloops residential school. Vigils are being held across the country and flags flown at half-mast. As Paul Johnson reports, Canadians are coming together to remember the young lives lost and to support those impacted by the news. And again, the subject matter may be difficult and triggering for some viewers. Gathering to console one another and to share their grief. At this memorial in Nanaimo Sunday, people brought teddy bears to symbolize the bodies thought to be in a mass grave discovered recently on the property of the Kamloops Residential School. Some chose to reflect on this news at events and in groups. Others did so in a more personal way. We're in a time of grief and we need each other in memorials and we need to you know, start healing what's happened in the last, I don't even know how many years. In Surrey, Alison Colligan lit candles and arranged a memorial of her own. Her effort, a snapshot of what's been taking place across the country, with flags lowered to half-mast everywhere, and a thousand different actions to show solidarity with Canada's First Nations. In B.C., teachers are encouraged to wear orange shirts to work this week. The discovery at the Kamloops Residential School is, is confirmation of what Aboriginal people have been telling us for decades. There's going to be a lot of controversy, a lot of hearts are going to be breaking over this. Nesconlith Chief Judy Wilson says First Nations leaders across B.C. have been having intense conversations about the way forward. And there are many questions still unanswered. When will more details become available about the data that's been collected in Kamloops? And what will the process be of identifying any remains found there? The only certainty is that it's going to be very painful. In our ceremonies, we're going to most likely be bringing them home, which means potentially unearthing them and going through and identifying them and then seeing which community they belong to. So that's going to be so hard and so horrendous. Paul Johnson, Global News. Tragedy in Vancouver's West End where an apartment fire has claimed a life. A 75-year-old man died when flames broke out in a suite on the 11th floor of a high-rise at Pendrel and Guilford Streets just after 6 p.m. Saturday. The entire building was evacuated and the fire was put out within minutes. The man was rushed to hospital with second and third degree burns to a large part of his body. Investigators are still looking into a probable cause. There's a couple of messages out of this awful, terrible tragedy. Um, one is that you, you really have to take care with your smoking material and your 
your cigarette butts and your matches if you're using them and to even go one step further you know things like candles and things that you consider every day in your home if you're not being careful with them and paying attention they can obviously be dangerous Vancouver firefighters responded to another fire overnight. It happened just after midnight on Fremlin Street. An abandoned building was engulfed in flames, causing extensive damage. The home was under construction at the time, and firefighters say thankfully no one was inside. Investigators are now looking into what sparked those flames. The death of a young woman found along Highway 1 near Hope earlier this week is being investigated as a homicide. Melissa Steele's body was discovered less than a year after a commercial truck driver stumbled across another woman's body on the same Fraser Canyon route. Kristen Robinson has more. I felt bad. It's, it's still something that, it's, it's still with me. A professional trucker still haunted by what he discovered almost one year ago. It's senseless. This young, this young lady and the young lady that they found the other day, this didn't need to happen. The body of 19-year-old Melissa Elizabeth Steele was found near Highway 1 between Hope and Yale on May 26th. On June 3, 2020, Stephen Gilmer was driving south through the Fraser Canyon when he heard radio chatter about someone passed out on the side of the same highway. She was lying on the shoulder. I stopped and went over and checked on her. and There was nothing I could have done. The woman found north of Yale was later identified as 29-year-old Alicia Hatterina Berg, her death suspicious. When I walked up on, upon her and saw what I saw, the injuries I saw, it's something nobody should have to see, right? Homicide investigators say Berg spent time in the Fraser Valley while Steele was known to frequent downtown Vancouver. They're saying that both young ladies led a transient lifestyle, which really shouldn't matter regardless. It, it still brought up the visions of Willie Picton was doing on the downtown east side. Notorious serial killer Robert Willie Picton was arrested in 2002 and eventually convicted of six counts of second-degree murder. The remains or DNA of 33 women were found on his Port Coquitlam pig farm. Hoping that it isn't, uh, there isn't a serial killer or, or anything like that happening. Police are appealing for dash cam video from drivers traveling between Hope and Boston Bar in the hours before both women were found. Gilmer says one thing still bothers him. There were so many trucks heading up that highway that passed her on the shoulder that didn't stop. It didn't look like somebody should have stopped sooner. Uh, maybe something could have been done for her, I don't know. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Police are investigating whether a weapons bust at a Saanich home is linked to organized gang crime groups operating on the island and the lower mainland. The cache of assault rifles, handguns and prohibited weapons was seized on Thursday from a home on Glasgow Avenue, along with thousands in cash and drugs, including fentanyl, cocaine and heroin. Police say the alleged drug trafficking investigation began in January and the home was fortified with high-powered firearms and ammunition just inside the entrance. Three people were arrested. Noah Curry and Donovan Hughes-Reed have since been charged with three counts of possession for the purpose of trafficking and three firearms offenses as well.
The search for a missing diver has resumed today in Okanagan Lake. Kamloops firefighter Brian Lannan was diving with a group on Saturday, May 15th, when he became separated from his dive buddy and never resurfaced. Search and Rescue and the RCMP searched for Lannan for nine days before calling off the effort. But now sonar has identified two areas of interest and boats and divers are back in the water. It is a big step toward easing back to normal life here in B.C. as in-person religious services resumed for the first time in months, but with some restrictions. As Grace Key reports, it has been a divisive issue for some, but a welcome development today as worshippers are welcomed back. There's people here in the building. This is a really good day. It's a really hopeful day. <laughs> It's an answer to their prayers. After about half a year, parishioners at North Vancouver's Hillside Church are back for in-person services, and everyone is excited. It's wonderful because I'm, I'm a people person, and I miss, I miss the people. It feels good to be community again. Like, this is our family. I'm really happy, looking forward to going to church to be with other believers. Indoor religious gatherings of up to 50 people are now taking place with COVID safety protocols. Parishioners have to pre-register. There's the usual social distancing and mask wearing. Choirs are not permitted. Soloists or small musical group is allowed, but worshippers are not allowed to sing. It's too bad we can't sing because I did, you know, that's one thing about us. We always were very good with the singing and the hymns and, and stuff, but... Uh, we can't, so I'm going to miss that. Restrictions have been in place since November, but it's been a contentious issue with some Fraser Valley churches fined for holding in-person services despite the public health order. God is spirit. His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Back at Hillside Church, even with all the challenges of the last year, Pastor Jeff Schuliger says the pandemic has brought important life-changing lessons. I don't want to go back to the way things were. Um, because I think I've learned quite a bit and we are a more resilient congregation if we allow it to, to teach us the lessons of this past year. But, I, but it's been painful. At Hillside, there were less than 50 people attending. The pastor saying the service was a bit last minute and he thinks some may still be leery of returning. For now, online services will be continuing. Grace Key, Global News. A major fire at the Penticton landfill this afternoon saw heavy plumes of black smoke visible from across the city and as far away as Summerland. The flames broke out in a scrap metal pile shortly after noon. Fire suppression efforts were delayed and there's no fire hydrant at the landfill. Firefighters relying on one water tender until two more got to the scene. The fire department says area residents may have voluntarily evacuated, but no formal evacuation was ordered. The cause of the fire is under investigation. A park board commissioner is making a push to have the taps turned back on at a number of Vancouver water features. The fountains at Lost Lagoon and Seaforth Peace Park, as well as the waterfall at Queen Elizabeth Park Quarry Garden, haven't been working for some time. NPA commissioner and mayoral candidate John Cooper has put forward a motion for tomorrow's meeting to have them repaired and put back in operation. He hasn't put a price tag on it, but says many have been in operation for some 60 years, so it's important to keep them going, especially during the pandemic.
This is a time when people are using the parks more than ever. You know, we've seen dramatic increases in park use as people have been recreating outside to stay safe. And, uh, you know, these are important features, and I think it's uh, important to everybody's mental health and, and health to get outside and enjoy them. As to whether we should be promoting fountains at a time when we're encouraging people to conserve water, Cooper says some of the features can be retrofitted to have the water recirculated, adding we can't just shut them off and let them go dry. A Vancouver Biennale sculpture planned for the False Creek South Sea Wall is already creating a stir. Boy Holding a Shark by artist Chen Wenling is almost eight meters tall and will soon be on display near Stamps Landing. The work is the artist's reflection on the growing tension between humans and the ocean. Signs opposing the art have been posted along the seawall. The boy shark will be installed across from the Yaletown seawall where Wenling's five and a half meter tall sculpture, The Proud Youth, has been stopping pedestrians and starting conversations since March. And another Vancouver Biennale temporary public art installation is being considered for underneath the south side of the Camby Street Bridge. The adhesive vinyl and augmented reality voxel bridge by artist Jessica Angel would be an immersive wrapping of the area. The site was chosen to draw visual parallels between blockchain technology and the structural integrity of the underpass. The exhibit would be on display for two years starting next month, and the public can share their feedback online until June 3rd. It is a tragic end to the weekend in the Canadian Rockies. Two people have been killed in an avalanche on Mount Andromeda, a spot popular with hikers and climbers located near the Columbia Icefield. We have the latest from Global's Nicole Stilger in Jasper. Parks Canada said they were notified about a slab avalanche that happened about 8 o'clock Sunday morning. Now, park officials were notified by visitors to the Columbia Icefields who witnessed the slide happen. Visitor safety teams, one from Banff and two from Jasper, including sniffer dogs, were sent to the area. They were able to locate the two victims. Now, RCMP are not releasing any information about them. Mount Andromeda is located within the ice field and is on the boundary of Banff and Jasper National Parks. It's a spot popular with hikers and mountain climbers. Parks officials estimate the avalanche came down from about 3,000 metres right into the valley. It's considered a Category 3 avalanche out of a scale of 5, so it was quite large. It is snow covered, like it's part of the actual Columbia Icefield Glacier complex. So it's kind of on the Jasper side of the ice field, if you will, as you look out from the ice field center. So it's, uh, it does have a section that's a glacier all year long. So it's pretty popular among those extreme outdoor enthusiasts that love to climb mountains. Officials say it's not unusual for avalanches to happen this time of year because the area is still in the middle of a freeze-thaw cycle, which creates a lot of instability on the mountain. Now officials are reminding anyone heading out into the backcountry to be prepared and make sure you're packing the proper gear. In Jasper, Nicole Stilger, Global News. It has been another busy weekend for rescuers on Vancouver's North Shore Mountains. Crews were called out this afternoon to assist a mountain biker who suffered a medical emergency. He was on a trail near Mount Frome at the top of Mountain Highway. Because of challenges in pinpointing his exact location, it took the 8th District of North Vancouver firefighters and Metro Vancouver Park Rangers well over an hour to get to him. The message to people heading into the backcountry is to have a rough idea as to where you are in case you get into trouble. The only message is, is if you do get hurt, call 911 early. 
Uh, we will respond, but really know where your location is. So either using electronic devices or local knowledge, know where you are so we can get to you quickly. And the same time this rescue was going on, crews were also called out to assist someone who'd run into trouble on the nearby Lynn Loop Trail. A black bear is back in the wild after an urban adventure in New Westminster this morning. The bear was spotted on the loose in the key rail yard area before noon. Police treed the animal before conservation officers arrived and tranquilized it. The bear was captured and relocated. Earlier this month, another wayward bear wandered all the way from the PE to downtown Vancouver, where it was also tranquilized and relocated. Kingston's Royal Military College is Canada's West Point, the training ground for generations of this country's military officers. But throughout our coverage of military sexual misconduct, RMC has been described as a potential wellspring of toxic culture, one that has for too long tolerated sexual misconduct in the Canadian forces. Now the former head of training is speaking out. Our Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson has more. Retired Lieutenant Colonel Mark Popov is a 27-year veteran of the Canadian Armed Forces. He led troops in combat in Afghanistan, but he says his posting to Kingston's Royal Military College was more stressful and painful than command in the violent Dan district of Afghanistan during the war. As Director of Cadets in 2014 and 2015 at RMC, Popov was responsible for training the college's 1,200 officer cadets. He says that what he saw in his time there devastated his faith in the military and left him fearing for the future of the armed forces. Popov says two former heads of RMC, who are now top-ranking generals, then Brigadier General Al Meinzinger and his successor, then Brigadier General Sean Friday, failed to take appropriate action in response to cases of sexual misconduct documented at RMC under their leadership. Meinzinger is now the head of the Royal Canadian Air Force, and Friday is serving at U.S. Central Command headquarters in Tampa, Florida. Popoff says Meinzinger and Friday failed to order fulsome investigations into cases of sexual misconduct and to punish the alleged perpetrators. Popov revealed to Global News disturbing allegations of sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, and a lack of proper care for victims of sexual assault. Popov says he worries about the message that sent to officer cadets over the years, a perversion of the RMC motto, truth, duty, valor, to what Popov describes as truth, duty, valor, don't get caught. This tells the perpetrators who've gotten away with it that they can get away with it that they will be protected, that the senior leadership is not interested in pursuing it. It enables this kind of conduct of, of those who would be perpetrators. And for those who would be victims, it says, what you say doesn't matter because no action will be taken. It's all talk, no action. Both Meinzinger and Friday reject Popov's claim they failed to respond properly to sexual misconduct under their watch at RMC. And the Department of National Defense is standing by both generals. In a statement, the department said, quote, all alleged incidences of sexual misconduct were acted upon appropriately and in accordance with applicable DND slash CAF policies, including immediate support to any victims. Also on the show this week, I'll speak with the acting chief of the defense staff, Lieutenant General Wayne Eyre, on his views about Royal Military College and what comes next for the Canadian forces in its efforts to deal with sexual misconduct. 
Again, that's our Mercedes Stevenson with a preview of what's coming up on the West Block. The Ontario government will introduce a motion in the legislature tomorrow to appoint a new chief medical officer of health. Health Minister Christine Elliott confirms Dr. David Williams is retiring next month and will be replaced by Dr. Kieran Moore. Moore has a long record in public health and emergency medicine and has been head of public health units in eastern Ontario since mid-2017. Williams faced criticism during the pandemic over his communication style, with some doubting his ability to stand up to Premier Doug Ford. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson married his fiancée, Carrie Simmons, yesterday in a small private ceremony in London. Current COVID-19 restrictions in England mean no more than 30 people can attend a wedding. The couple has reportedly sent out save-the-date cards for a larger celebration next year. 56-year-old Johnson and 33-year-old Simmons announced their engagement last February and have a one-year-old son together. Johnson is the first UK Prime Minister to get married while in office in nearly 200 years. An Alberta corn maze is raising money for their local food bank and giving some comfort back to residents in one of the cutest ways possible, with goat snuggling. Here's Global's Jessica Robb. There are worse ways to spend a beautiful day in southern Alberta. I mean, what's not to love about snuggling baby goats? <laughs> For the second year in a row, the Lethbridge Corn Maze is offering goat snuggling. Why do you think people love it so much? Well, look at it. It's so relaxing, right? Farm owner Theo Slingerland says the idea came to him last year when he saw a similar thing happening in the States. My wife Esther says, hey, that's something that we can do. I said, are you serious? I said, ah, nobody's going to come for that. She said, no, let's do it. Turns out, goat snuggling is a hit and a real comfort in a time of so much uncertainty. We ran out of goats by before we could finish the snuggling. Goat snuggling sessions are booked in advance online. For $30, a group of five can get an hour in a socially distanced pen with four baby goats. And at the end, some of the proceeds will be going to the Lethbridge Food Bank. We actually get all the leftover foods from the Lethbridge Food Bank that is not suitable for consumption anymore, or outdated for our animals. On Saturday, people were out enjoying the sunshine and some cuddles. You know, there's not a lot going on right now because of the pandemic, so it was just like something fun to do. My girlfriend was on Facebook and basically told me I'm coming to snuggle goats. I'm super happy I came. This little guy is just cuddled up on me and falling asleep. Oh, I'm so relaxed. I'm almost as relaxed as this goat. <laughs> Having so much going on, it's, it's nice just to take a break and have something to just forget about everything else, you know? All I'm concerned about is this little guy napping. <laughs> Jessica Robb, Global News. Dave, it could happen to him. It could happen to any of us. Friends and family mourn an arts and culture icon in Surrey, how they're keeping the so-called King of Bangada's legacy going just ahead. But first, let's bring back meteorologist Yvonne Shell now for a look at the forecast. And Yvonne, it is a bit of a change from what we've been used to, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, we had plenty <laughs> of sunshine yesterday. It was brighter near through. Today we've had a fair bit of cloud cover. We had a few isolated showers or drizzle between 11 and 1 reported at the airport, but it's dry out there right now. We can see that on the tower cam with the cloud cover. Temperatures are currently sitting at 17 areas away from the water 
hotter today, got into the low 20s, and many spots in the interior today uh, got t- temperatures into the upper 20s as well. We've got a few isolated showers that will continue, especially along the island. We're tracking a system along the north and central coast. Most areas, though, for Metro Vancouver, it's just cloud cover overnight tonight. We'll dip down to 12 degrees and then take a look at the numbers tomorrow. We'll bump up to 20 degrees and then areas away from the water up to 23. Here's the precipitation. It'll fall along the northern half of the province, but it is going to bring the potential for rain, especially along the northern and central half of the island. That'll spread across the Sunshine Coast. Metro Vancouver, it'll be cloud cover, and then all areas in the interior will start to see an increase in cloud cover by the afternoon and early evening. And then on Tuesday, we'll start to brighten up along uh, Metro Vancouver. Temperatures, though, will start to climb. We'll likely see the peak of it Tuesday, Wednesday. So a heads up, it is going to warm up paired with some sunshine. Now, the northern half of the province will be seeing system after system. Tomorrow, highs up to 14 degrees. So areas along both the north and central coast seeing the heavier precipitation. It'll be a mainly cloudy sky for the central interior and then areas towards the south of it will be seeing a bright start to the morning and increase in cloud cover. Warming up, though, for the Thompson Castlegar highs up to 27 degrees. Whistler remaining dry with cloud cover and the rain along the northern and central half. Along the Sunshine Coast, temperatures will be up to 17 degrees and then areas near Victoria will be seeing a mainly cloudy sky with highs up to 20. So a range of temperatures tomorrow, especially away from the water, 23. It'll feel like 25 degrees with the Humidex. The bright spots in our long-range forecast will be Tuesday, Wednesday, especially Wednesday, areas away from the water up to 27. And then it's Wednesday night that will track that change with an increase in cloud cover. The potential for some showers moving in Thursday, Friday, but for tomorrow, dry and sunny for Tuesday, Wednesday. Neethu? Looks fantastic. Thanks, Yvonne. Family and friends of a man known as Surrey's King of Bhangra are in shock tonight. They say they're grappling with the death of a healthy man who suddenly passed away while trying to keep his legacy of arts and culture alive. Amadagahi has more. He was known as the King of Bhangra, a man whose main goal in life was simply to inspire the younger generation to love and celebrate Punjabi art and culture just as much as he did. He was a guy who would, you know, walk into the room and you know bring a joy bring bring life to that room he was he was so lively last tuesday a sudden heart attack would take surrey's beloved jatinder singh randawa away from his family forever and hundreds of people whose lives he influenced during his 47 years for Mandeep sarkaria the shawnee punjab arts club a dance studio he co-founded with randawa more than 12 years ago, now feels painfully empty. This is the first time we came to the studio and it's just that we have so many memories here, you know, I could feel all the little laughs, the little giggles we had here. Randawa's lasting impact on every student is profound. Out of love and respect, they called him Uncle G. You know, he was like a mentor, he was a friend, he was like a father-like figure um, because he taught us more than just They say his constant positive outlook on life was infectious and he treated every student like his own child, niece or nephew. Uncle G was able to look at these kids and see what was so special about them and he he brought out that confidence in those kids that they didn't have. Randawa was also very decorated, leading his students to competitions across North America and coming back with hundreds of trophies. He'd be like the one that um, 
gave us a little pep talk before we hit the stage. Mm. And then, in honor of him, basically, every time we won, the first person that held the trophy was him. Online, tributes are pouring in for a man described as a visionary whose dance teams performed at the Vancouver Olympics, Canucks Games, and at Parliament Hill. It's probably one of his biggest habits of his life. Even in his absence now, he has inspired the remaining leaders of his dance studio to continue his legacy for years to come. Emadagahi, Global News. An all-Indigenous modeling agency has launched in BC. The unique company provides a platform for Indigenous models while also incorporating cultural and spiritual practices. Global Sharmin Samani spoke with the co-founder of Supernaturals Modeling, who talks about the lack of representation for Indigenous Canadians in the fashion industry. A new space, a new platform finally exists for Indigenous models in BC. They will always have my back. Talese Campo, an Indigenous Canadian, has been modeling for a decade, but she has only recently started feeling a sense of belonging in the fashion industry. I didn't feel like I wasn't pretty enough because back in the day, I didn't have any of those Indigenous role models. Campo faced several negative experiences because of her ethnicity. They wanted me to cut my hair. And for my culture, my hair is very sacred to me. We cut our hair at a time and place. And I ended up getting in a bit of a discussion with my agent and they weren't happy with me and they wanted me to terminate my contract. Campo says some even tried to make her look less indigenous. It lightened my skin and I honestly almost looked sick in the photo, like they're taking something from me. And that's exactly what BC's newest all-Indigenous modeling agency will make sure doesn't happen with their models. Discrimination that Indigenous people face on a regular basis it's very discouraging. Patrick Shannon is the co-founder of Supernaturals Modeling, an all-Indigenous modeling agency that opened up earlier this month. The agency incorporates cultural and spiritual practices in its training. started out of a desire to see representation at the highest level. So often Indigenous people aren't represented in a meaningful way outside of tokenism for Indigenous-specific projects. Tiana Ustindi has been modeling for three years and is encouraged by the work Supernaturals Modeling is doing. It's a really good resource to have us um, be able to represent Indigenous people in more of a healthy way. Shannon hopes Supernatural Modeling helps fill the gap in the fashion industry and encourages others in the community to model so that Indigenous people will be accepted for themselves and not subjected to tokenism. Sharmin Samani, Global News. All right, Barry's back with sports and the latest addition to the Canucks. Mm-hmm, yeah, hopefully uh, he'll turn out like uh, past rookies had. Canucks have had <laughs> good luck with guys making their debut. Thanks, Nithu. As uh, Jim Benning kind of foreshadowed last week, the Canucks have indeed signed 19-year-old Russian Vasily Pudkolzin to a three-year entry-level contract. Pudkolzin rather played in the KHL the past few seasons with St. Petersburg. Six goals, 11 points in 35 games, but he really didn't get prime ice time or line mates. The Canucks feel he can be a solid two-way player who can score, and if he can be even close to what Nils Hoaglander brought in his rookie season, the Canucks would be more than pleased with that. But Colson really stepped up his game in the playoffs, helping his team advance to the third round, leading the club in scoring with 11 points in 16 playoff games, tied for seventh in KHL playoff scoring. He's got a similar build to Bo Horvat, so built for the playoffs. We'll see if he can help get the Canucks to the postseason next year. All right, Stanley Cup playoffs, game one, Lightning and Hurricanes for Morali. No scoring until the second Lightning power play. Victor Hedman, playoff MVP last year, 
Shot pass tipped in by Braden Point. one nothing Tampa after two, but the Canes tie it early in the third on a power play of their own. Jake Bean from the point. That one goes all the way through to beat Andre Vasilevsky. It's 1-1, but Tampa goes ahead. It's a fourth-line goal from a real bad angle. Barkley Goudreau beats Alec Nedeljkovic. Five-hole lightning steal game one on the road. 2-1 the final today in Carolina. In Denver, game one, Avalanche, Vegas, Golden Knights. Abs will get the icebreaker in this one. Five minutes in, Miko Rantanen from the sharp angle rips the backhand past surprise starter Robin Lehner. Marc-Andre Fleury played all seven games in the Minnesota series, maybe a bit fatigued. Not a great goal from Lehner's perspective. one nothing. Then a beautiful crisp passing play. Kale McCarr, what a young D-man he is, snaps it to Gabriel Landeskog. It's 2 nothing. And then in the second, Colorado adds a couple of more, including this one from Nathan McKinnon. It's 4 nothing right now. Avalanche in control. World Hockey Championship as uh, Troy Stetcher and Team Canada meeting Italy in uh, Latvia. Canada in a must-win game, and as expected, they didn't have a whole lot of problems. Andrew Mangiapane of the Flames showing his skill. He's a very good player, and he's really given Canada's offense a boost since he uh, joined the team late last week. Brilliant solo effort here. And then it's Stetcher in the slot. Scored a few like that for the Canucks. 3-0 Canada in front, and then before the period is out, Captain Adam Henrique with a laser backhand to the roof of the net. 4-0 Canada after one. And in the second, Connor Brown, another talented player many people maybe don't know about, plays for Ottawa. Beautiful pass to Mangiapane for the finish. Canada wins 7-1. They're 3-3. They have to beat Finland in their final game Tuesday and then get some help to make it into the quarterfinals. Well, Milos Raonic pulled out of the French Open today, a day before he was to play his first match. Now, Raonic didn't play any clay court season and hasn't played at Roland Garros since 2017, so not really a surprise. Frankly, his game and that slow red clay don't mix very well. But 18-year-old Leila Annie Fernandez of Montreal did play her first round match today, and she looked great against Russian Anastasia Potapova. Fernandez already has her first WTA Tour win this year, and she just keeps getting better. Now up to a career-high ranking of 68 in the world. It was one-way traffic against Potapova. She chases down the drop shot, up 4-1 in the second after rolling 6-2 in the opening set. And then on match point, Fernandez with the backhand. A bit fortunate that it clipped the net, but she was dominant today. 6-2, 6-1 into the second round. She'll meet American Madison Keys in the second round. Bianca Andreescu plays her first match tomorrow. Blue Jays in Cleveland for a doubleheader today after getting rained out Saturday. Game one top fourth. Teoscar Hernandez going deep. That's a solo shot. 2-0 Toronto in front and then later in the inning Rowdy Telez with the long ball as the Blue Jays take the opener in this one 4-1 over Cleveland. They won the first game of the series on Friday night, so a chance to go for the doubleheader and series sweep in game two. T. Oscar Hernandez would do it again. Bases loaded, and 
That one looks like it has a chance to be a grand slam, but it's uh, off the wall, clears the bases with a three-run double, and the Jays were cruising up 4-0 into the sixth, but then it all fell apart. Bottom of the seventh, now 5-4 Jays. Toronto reliever Tyler Chatwood, who's been pretty good all year, just can't find the plate. Four straight walks, and the tying run scores. They pull him, but uh, a bit late, I would say, but the base is still loaded, and Cleveland wins it on a fly ball to right, caught, but the runner scores easily and the Jays blow it big time. They've lost some games late in the past couple of weeks, 6-5, so they split the doubleheader against Cleveland. NBA playoffs, game four, Lakers and Suns, LA up 2-1, but late first half, that man, AD Antonio Davis, comes down awkwardly, strains his groin, and he did not return for the second half, and he could be a doubtful for future games in the series. Chris Paul, meanwhile, with a much healthier shoulder than the previous couple games, making an impact with the basket there. They led by 16 after three. Lakers made a run in the fourth. The former Raptor, Marcus Saul, showing his range from three, cuts it to eight, but Jay Crowder seals it with a corner three, and the Suns get back on even terms with the Lakers. 192 the final, series tied at two apiece. In Atlanta, Trey Young and the Hawks with a chance to go 3-1 up on the Knicks. Canadian R.J. Barrett gave New York the lead in the second, taking this one in for two of his 21. Spike Lee approves. Tight ball game at the half, but Atlanta took over with the dominant third. Trey Young with the step back three as the Hawks take it. 113-96. Spike has seen enough. He's out of here. Atlanta now leads the Knicks 3-1 in the series. Final round of the Senior PGA Championship. Mike Weir had a tough Saturday, went from a four-shot lead to trailing by three. More frustration Sunday. Really needed that eagle putt to fall at 12, just short. Settles for birdie. Weir ended up tied fifth at one under, but it was German Alex Cheka who actually ran away with it. 17th hole, second shot on the par four. Beautiful pitch shot to just a few inches away. He would end up tapping that in for birdie, and Alex Cheka wins the senior PGA Championship in Tulsa, Oklahoma, eight underscore as he wins by four shots. Meanwhile, at the Colonial Country Club in Dallas-Fort Worth, final round of the Charles Schwab Challenge. There's Squire with some practice swings. <laughs> Sorry, Squire, I couldn't resist. Two-man race between hometown boy Jordan Spieth and Jason Kokrak. Kokrak birdie at the 13th, gets to 16 under, a two-shot lead. Spieth needed to birdie 18 to force a playoff, but his approach is a little left and it's going to find the water. He made bogey, finishes second. Jason Kokrak gets his second victory of the season as uh, he takes the uh, Charles Schwab challenge. Adam Hadwin finished tied eighth, won 197,000. Nick Taylor tied 62nd. And Indy 500 today from the old brickyard, 135,000 fans in attendance, still 100,000 short of capacity, but still the most fans at a sporting event since the pandemic. Two laps to go. It's the veteran Helio Castroneves, the Brazilian, absolutely loves this race, and it's a cagey move to zip past 24-year-old Spaniard Alex Palou, times it perfectly, and Castroneves, at age 46, takes the checkered flag, his fourth Indy 500 win, tying legends A.J. Foyt, Alancer Sr., and Rick Mears for the most Indy 500 wins ever. Hey, you can still climb that fence. And that milk, well, it's a tradition, but just a little sip. He'll wear the rest as Helio Castroneves wins the Indy 500. I would say after being in that hot car for four hours, a 
warm glass of milk just isn't going to cut it. So <laughs> you can't blame them. Surreal to see that crowd as well. Incredible yeah, stuff. Starting to really open up in all venues, so it uh, feels good. Just good almost time. like old times. Well, she is considered one of the most inspiring women in the region, and now the North Vancouver DJ is having the spotlight turned on her. Oreen Askew is an advocate for many diverse communities and groups in B.C. As Jay Durant reports, the Afro-Indigenous two-spirited DJ's words are having a big impact on a lot of people, and it's caught the attention of local biographers. Status and clarity. Just because there aren't many gigs right now for Aureen Askew doesn't mean she isn't busy. She's the subject of a human biography special, and it's been like living on reality TV. Wanting to mic me up like everywhere I go and the cameras are right there and the mic packs and it's it's been a really cool experience. Her story um, was really important to me because I believe uh, Aureen represents so many different communities. It's a very long list, but it includes being on Squamish Nation Council, speaking for the LGBTQ plus community, and she's given over a hundred motivational talks to Indigenous youth across Canada. The story of how she escaped a 2012 house fire always has the biggest impact. When I told it that particular story, like there wasn't a dry eye in the crowd, and people were lining up to hug me and say, you know, that happened to me too, and the fact that it had that. Uh, effect on people was just amazing. Aureen just won an alumni award at Capilano University for her work in the community. But it's music that continues to be at the center. One day she'll be able to get back to this. It's a love she developed at a young age thanks to her mother. Mom's indigenous and my father's African-American, but she always made sure that black music was played all around me all the time. So I think that's where I get my love for kind of like hip-hop and R&B. Which is why Aureen is now working on her own R&B track and video. And no one's surprised she's taken something else on now. But no matter how hectic her life gets, lending her strong voice will always be a top priority. People are starting to realize how important those perspectives are and... Uh, that's why I'm kind of overbooked right now. <laughs> Jay Durant, Global News. What an inspiration to so many marginalized communities. Incredible. We're adding that to the playlist for sure. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to hearing the new music. Yeah. Um, all right, what music should we have if we're going to try and theme it according to the weather, Yvonne? Well, we're going to have sunshine, but it'll take a couple of days. Tomorrow okay. we're still underneath cloud cover, and then it really warms up. Tuesday, Wednesday look to be the nicest so far. Pocket full of sunshine it is on Tuesday. All right, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Jordan will be here at 11. Have a great night.